The response from the players was overwhelmingly positive. The guys were very curious. They're like, how the hell are you doing this, man? <laughs> like, they had their plates full of food, you know, they'd have their fried chicken and their potatoes covered in butter and gravy and all this stuff. And they look over at my plate and it's covered in broccoli and chickpeas and, and like black beans and black olives. They're like, how do you do this? How can you compete at this level? How are you doing this? Because they just didn't understand because they were like me. They were told since they were nine years old that they needed meat to recover and meat and protein and no one ever told them that chickpeas has protein in it and that lentils are in a powerhouse of nutrition. You know, the only things that people ever told them was you get your protein from chicken, steak, pork, right? So guys were very curious at how I was still competing with them as a vegan. That's John Rush. And this is episode 157 of The Proof Podcast. Hey, beautiful friends. Welcome back to another episode. Here we are. An absolute pleasure to be here with you. And for those who are tuning in for the first time, thank you so much for finally joining us, gracing us with your presence. I'm Simon Hill, host of this show, nutritionist, physiotherapist, and author. Please do sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. One of the best ways to track our health is to regularly get blood work done so we can take a peek under the hood and get a feel for the state of our cardiometabolic and hormonal health. You can do this with your local doctor or you can use a service like Inside Tracker. The nice thing about Inside Tracker is they make the process super convenient. You can organize their phlebotomist, a person who draws blood, to come to your house or office to do the blood draw. A few days later, your results show up in the Inside Tracker app, and they provide lifestyle recommendations based on whether a particular test is suboptimal, normal, or optimal. I've checked Inside Tracker's lifestyle recommendations, specifically the exercise and nutrition ones, and I can confidently say they are evidence-based and in line with the information shared in both my book and on this show. They even added ApoB to their ultimate plan, based on recommendation from myself and others. It's also nice to have all of your lab results readily accessible in one mobile app, making it easy to pull up past results and see trends and patterns over time. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon for this exclusive offer. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. If you're a long-time listener of this show, you'll be well aware of the scientific evidence that supports a high-fiber, plant-rich diet for good long-term health. And while I certainly believe in a food-first approach, there is a role for supplements to help optimize the intake of specific nutrients and address any nutritional gaps. Enter Emil. Emil is a plant-based wellness company with a series of products to help you optimize your plant-based diet. Two of my favorite products being the Essential 8 multivitamin and the Optimal Omega Plus. The Essential 8 contains 8 key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall short in. And the Optimal Omega Plus 
contains a direct source of DHA and EPA omega-3s, same as in fish, but from algae. In fact, taking Optimal Omega Plus daily, which contains 750 milligrams of EPA and DHA, is equivalent to eating two to three pieces of fatty fish per week, in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends. John Rush, welcome to the show. Simon, thanks for having me on. I'm pumped to be here. It's been a, a long time coming, this one. I've been watching you from a distance. I have to say, I'm always super impressed with everything that you're doing. So I think this is going to be a fun one. And I've certainly been uh, waiting to do this for a while and, and haven't had many professional athletes on the show. So I think this will be super insightful for the listeners. Yeah, same to you. It's crazy how much we've interacted online, but never really actually talk that much. So I, I'm excited to actually be able to kind of pick your brain a little bit and and kind of get into the, the nitty gritty here. So perhaps for Australians and anyone around the world outside of North America that may not be familiar with the Canadian Football League, what can you tell us about the league and, and your team, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? You're about to start a new season, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're just on the verge of starting a new season here in Canada. Uh, unfortunately, last year we had to cancel the season because uh, of everything <laughs> kind of going on in the world. But, uh, yeah, the, the Canadian Football League, it's not your typical European soccer. It's more like American football uh, where, you know, we're wearing pads and we're playing, you know, football in that sense. Very physical contact sport. And the last time we played as the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, we won the Grey Cup in 2019, which was the craziest experience I've ever had. The Grey Cup is similar to, you know, the Stanley Cup or, uh, you know, the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm not sure what the equivalent would be in Australia with the AFL, but uh, I'm sure it would be something similar to that. So, uh, yeah, we just won the Grey Cup. And, you know, I've been playing football for 17 straight years. And this is basically what, uh, you know, I've been working towards the whole time. So excited to kind of get back out there this year and kind of get back at it. Gosh, that must have been an incredible experience to to live that dream that you had for so long. What was that like? Honestly, it even at this point, it's still difficult to put into words. It all felt like in the moment, it all felt so surreal. That's something you've been working towards for so long. You like you did it, <laughs> and I, I'm sure I'm sure you, you like with your your new book that's out. I'm sure you you experienced something similar. It just like so difficult to actually like you know process all the emotions and, and everything that like is going on that even like a year after the fact I was still like taking it and I was like oh, I was like holy shit we actually like we actually won the great cup <laughs> like uh, it, it was it was crazy walk me through the path from from being a, a teenager you grow up uh, in Ontario right walk me through the path to to playing league football what did that journey look like uh, for you my path is very much not like the typical path that you would generally take to get to pro sports. And how I actually got like super into football was also not typical. The majority of my life I've been playing <laughs> playing football. So uh, one day we were me and my brother were watching TV and we saw a commercial where a football player was running down the field with the ball in his hand and he did a front flip over a guy trying to tackle him. 
And, you know, looking back now, it was obviously very fake. But when I was like eight years old, it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. So from that point, we convinced our parents to kind of let us play. I was nine, my brother was 11. And, you know, our whole lives basically revolved around football. We switched high schools when we got to high school to go to a, to a high school that had better coaches significantly further outside our district. So we had to like get a special bus in. It took us like an hour and a half to get to school every day. We came from a small town in Niagara. Uh, you know, everyone thinks Niagara is huge and, and Ni- the Niagara Falls are very big, but the actual town is very small. So whenever we wanted to showcase our talents to, you know, university coaches, we would have to drive hours upon hours to go to tryouts and tournaments and things like that. And um, I got very fortunate that I had very supportive parents who would spend their weekends driving me and my brother to these tournaments and tryouts and things like that. So I went to the University of Guelph out of high school. I was 17 years old and played there for five years. Uh, In my third year, I actually tore my ACL and I wasn't sure if that was going to be the end of my career, but I got very fortunate with the team. They sent me down to San Diego to rehab my knee to make sure it was kind of better for the next season. Uh, but unfortunately, it wasn't 100% for the next season, and that was my draft year. So you're in your fourth year, that's when you get drafted. And unfortunately, because I wasn't at 100%, I didn't get drafted that year, which you know was a huge blow to my ego. Like That's something at that point I'd been working towards since I was you know nine years old. And... From there, uh, it was it was difficult. It was really difficult. But uh, my dad kind of talked to me, and he's just like, "Listen, he's like, you got one year more year eligibility. Give it your all. Try and make the CFL. You've been working at this for so long. And then from there, you know, we'll make a decision. But like, let's not make any decisions right now." So that entire summer, I was working in a factory and working out and just getting ready for the season. That next season, we won the the Yates Cup. I was the defensive player of the year for all of Canada that year as well. So uh, I was very fortunate. We had a really, really good team that year. And uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers picked me up, actually. So that was my kind of like dream came true, or so I thought. And so I finished my degree. And then that summer, I went into training camp with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And I was the very last cut of training camp. So uh, (laughs) the year before I didn't get drafted, that year I got cut. (laughs) It was very, uh, two years in a row, it was was some pretty crushing blows to my ego. Not going to lie, but, you know, I drove back home that night. I drove 26 straight hours back to my parents' house in Niagara Falls uh, from Winnipeg. And me and my dad kind of came up with a plan. We're just like, okay, we're going to give it one more shot. This is going to be kind of our last year because, you know, at at some point you got to, you got to, move on from sports, right? And it's the unfortunate reality is you can't play sports forever. You know, you got to pay bills and <laughs> pay for pay for student loans. And uh, so... What was the reason for getting cut? Were you able to sort of identify where it was that perhaps from a performance point of view or a mental approach point of view that you needed to improve on? Yeah, there was, that's a great question, actually. There was, there was two things specifically that they told me I needed to do. They wanted me to get faster and they wanted me to, when you get to the pro, it's a whole other level, right? So it's like, uh, they wanted my skills to be more refined. So they're like, go play in a semi-pro league, work on these things, get faster. And then, you know, we can review it kind of next year. They're like, you're on our radar, which is, always, you know, that's always a good thing. But, uh, but yeah, those were the kind of the things that they had told me to do. As a kid... You can sometimes describe a kid as having sort of raw talent, and then there are those kids who maybe have less talent, but they apply themselves in you know incredible work ethic. And obviously, there are some kids who have a good mix of both. 
how would you describe yourself? Were you, did you have that sort of God-given, born, raw talent, or was it more of a, a sort of insatiable appetite to live out that dream from an early age? I know exactly what you mean. That you know, when I step on that football field, sometimes there are men out there that are just better than me. <laughs> that's just the fact. They're just bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, and that's kind of it. There are just men out there like that. And for me, I was never the biggest. I was never the strongest. I was never the fastest. Uh, but I, I had kind of two things that a lot of people didn't have. If a coach told me to go th- run through a brick wall, like head first, I'd do it. I have like a cinder block head. <laughs> so uh, it's like a, it's like a real life Viking. Yeah, the basic thing, right? So yeah, like I'll you know I'll go head first into basically whatever you want, and and I'll I'll do it as fast as I can. And two, I wouldn't be outworked. And whether that was knowing the playbook better than anybody else, whether that was knowing you know what the other team was going to do better than anybody else, whether that was you know getting to the the football better than anybody else, that was like the one thing I could control. I could not control being you know some people are just born fast. Like I could train my entire life, and I'm never going to be as fast as Usain Bolt. That's just that's just life. You know what I mean? Like your body has limits. But I wasn't going to kind of focus on that. I was going to focus on what I could control. And that was putting my head through other people and working harder than anybody else. So you you drive back home 26 hours, you come up with this plan, you then go and play semi-pro for a year and then you go back to Winnipeg and they draft you? Is that sort of how it worked? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I played semi-pro. We had a good season. Uh, after the season, Winnipeg, I was technically a free agent at that point because I couldn't get drafted anymore. They picked me back up. They picked my like rights back up. And uh, I went back into training camp that year and made the team finally. So that was, you know, it was a dream come true. I still had quite a bit to work on and actually where my vegan journey started. So let's come to that in a second, just to sort of paint the picture. You mentioned before, so you're part of the defensive team. If someone's not familiar with football, can you sort of describe the way the the two teams work and how many players are on a list and how likely is it if you'll actually get a game once you are on a list? Yeah. In football, there's the offense and the defensive side. So on the offense, you have 12 guys. Uh, on the field and the defense has 12 guys on the field and the offense's objective is to score. So they want to try and get a touchdown and the defense's job is to prevent that. So that's kind of like the objectives of both sides. And each team has an offensive side and defensive side and it completely flips. So if I'm on defense, I won't be on offense for my same team. My entire career, I was a defensive player. I was a linebacker and and my objective was to just basically hit people as hard as I could that had the ball. So you basically have 24 guys and you'll be like a couple people deep at each position. So there's 12 guys on the field, but then you'll have a whole other set of guys that are ready to go behind them. And the likelihood of you getting in is pretty high because it's kind of similar to the AFL. You know, I know we were physiotherapists for some AFL guys in Australia and it's a violent sport. Guys get hurt every single, I I don't think I've ever been involved in a football game where a player hasn't gotten hurt. Tell me, when you got there 2015, what was your approach to nutrition at this stage of your life? So I was, at that point, I was still an omnivore. Like I still ate lots of meat, you know, and, you know, back in 2015, when I finally made it, I was still very heavy on like 
Uh, lots of chicken. It, that was pretty much like the main thing I ate was I was probably eating like six chicken breasts a day. I mean, also, it becomes part of the culture, right? I'm assuming that most of your teammates were also eating this way. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. I, even to this day, there's still not... There was one other vegan. When I first got went vegan, there was one other vegan in the CFL, but he the next year he, he retired. And since then, I'm the only vegan in the CFL. So what was it that sort of inspired you to rethink the, the foods that you were eating? Because I imagine this is a tough call for you. You've been waiting for this opportunity for almost your entire life that you would have been able to recall and you didn't get drafted. You then fought your way back onto a list and all of a sudden now you're going to tinker around with your diet and go against what is considered the optimal way to eat for performance. Walk me through this. That, yeah, is honestly, it was terrifying and I, and I hit it. Like I, I straight up hid the fact that I was vegan from the team. So one off season, the head coach of the, the Blue Bombers called me up like, hey, John, we want you to change positions. They're like, we know you've been playing linebacker for the past like 15 years, uh, but we want to move you to the offensive side now. We want you to play fullback. Uh, and basically the role of a fullback is to, to block for the running back. So I'm basically still running headfirst into another man. It's just kind of a different, just a different role. I asked the coach, I'm like, is this going to you know, help make the team better? He's like, yeah, 100%. We're moving some guys around and this is going to help the team. I'm like, perfect. I, I can do that. He's like, the only thing is, you know, we want you to lose about 30 pounds to play this position. And I was like, oh, okay. That's uh, <laughs> all right. That's a lot of weight. At that time, I was about 240-ish pounds. And you know, my weight usually fluctuates by about five pounds, give or take. Uh, so I was around 240 at that time. They wanted me about 210, 215 would be the optimal weight, they said. So I was working with a trainer at the time and and I was talking to him and I'm like, man, I got to lose 30 pounds. What can I do? And he's just, and like, he'd known me for quite a long time at that point. He's like, he's like, dude, he's like, you've tried intermittent fasting. He's like, you tried to do keto for a bit. He's like, you've tried like every weight loss thing there is. Why don't you try and go vegan for a month? At that time, I, uh, and I admit it to this day, like I was like anti-vegan. I didn't know of any vegans. I literally never met a vegan in my life at that point, but I was very anti-vegan for some reason, just because like it went, <laughs> it went so against everything I you know knew, which was eating six chicken breasts a day, right? So I was very anti-vegan, and but at that point, I was like, man, I have to do something drastic here. I've always, you know, I've always been a big person. I've always been two hundred and twenty to two hundred and forty pounds my entire adult life. So in order to lose that weight, I had to do something drastic. So he's like, listen, I'll help you do it. If we do it right, you'll keep your strength and we'll make it work for you. He's like, at the end of the month, if you hate it so much, he's like, we'll just go back to, you know, eating meat. It's not the end of the world. I'm like, all right, man, like, you're right. I've tried everything else. Like I have to do something here. I'm going to get cut. If you've tuned in to the many episodes I've done focusing on cardiovascular disease, the leading cause of death globally, you'll be well aware that ApoB is a better biomarker for measuring our risk of having a heart attack or stroke than LDL cholesterol. The only problem is that not every pathology lab is set up to test ApoB levels. Fortunately, this has now been made easier by Inside Tracker, a leading health and wellness company founded in 2009 by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, MIT, and Tufts. 
that provides lifestyle advice based on your blood test results. With the new edition of ApoB, InsideTracker's ultimate plan now analyzes 44 biomarkers, including metabolic health markers like HbA1c, triglycerides, and blood glucose, important nutrients like vitamin D and iron, as well as hormones like cortisol, sex hormone binding globulin, free testosterone, and total testosterone, before giving you science-backed lifestyle advice to optimize your health and longevity. Your data tells the story of your health. With InsideTracker, get to know your story and create a lifestyle that delivers better health for longer. Get 20% off the entire InsideTracker store. To get started and redeem this offer, go to InsideTracker.com forward slash Simon. That's InsideTracker.com forward slash Simon. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. This is a unique opportunity to gather health data about yourself that has the potential to change your life for the better. You'll start by testing 10 longevity biomarkers that tell the truth about where your longevity stands right now, today. Following that, you'll get a personalized longevity score to guide your 12 weeks of habit building that will boost your score and improve your biomarkers for the better. After the challenge, you'll retest your 10 biomarkers and see the proof of how powerful these science-backed habits really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash livingproof to download your zero-cost copy of the Living Proof Longevity Challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash livingproof. Look forward to joining you on this journey. So I went vegan and then a lot of crazy things started happening to me. Like I started sleeping so much better and it was like weird because I was sleeping less. I was sleeping like six hours a night, but I was waking up. Like I felt like I, I had slept 12 hours. I have arthritis in my knees. I've had arthritis in my knees since I was 21 because of my knee surgery. And, uh, I couldn't get past 90 degrees in a squat because I'm how bad my knees are. And then all of a sudden the inflammation in my knees was like going away. I felt like in that first month I went vegan, I felt like I had lost 10 pounds already. Even I hadn't even lost more than two pounds at that point. And I felt like I would lost 10. My body just felt so much lighter. So at that point I kind of was like, all right, maybe these crazy vegans are onto something. <laughs> so I kind of started looking more into it at that point. And, uh, you know, as, as you, you know, you follow me on Instagram and I'm a huge dog advocate. I love dogs. Um, and I started kind of learning about other animals and how, you know, cows have best friends and how pigs are smarter than dogs and things like that. And that was also the time when the, the UN came out with that really crazy report about we have like 12 years to reverse course before we're basically kind of screwed. And I, you know, I was reading about how being on a plant-based and vegan diet is the best thing you can do for the climate. And by, so by the end of the month, when it came up, it all just made so much sense. That, and I knew so much at that point where I'm like, man, I'd be kind of an asshole to know this 
and then go back to, you know, kind of continuing my old ways. And so were you still hiding that from those at your club or was was that now an open sort of conversation and how did they feel about it? Yeah, that whole first year I went vegan, the club didn't know at all. No one on the team knew. I didn't tell a single person because especially in football, it's such a testosterone-driven sport. Like it's so like, you know, macho man and... I was concerned that if they knew I was vegan, they would cut me. Because like the thing about professional sports is they're basically it's such a it's such a crazy system. They're just basically constantly looking to replace you with someone that's younger, better, and cheaper. So they're just looking for a reason to cut you. And your your entire job is basically fighting to give them reasons not to cut you. So I wasn't trying to give them a reason to cut me. So that entire first year I just didn't tell anybody. Uh, But then slowly guys started figuring it out because we ate breakfast and lunch at the stadium every single day together. Some of them caught notice. And then uh, the second year, it kind of like started getting out a bit. And then all of a sudden, you know, like the chef would be like, he would like be like watching everyone go through. And then like I would get to the line and he'd be like, he'd be like, oh, hey, actually, uh, let me just put out these Beyond Meat burgers. And there there'd only be like two Beyond Meat burgers. <laughs> and, and like, it was never like discussed, but like all of a sudden, like all these kind of like vegan options just started showing up. And then like at a certain point, like kind of just like everyone knew it. It was just like a thing that people knew, but I was doing my job and I was doing it effectively where it, it wasn't a problem. So, but I was, you know, like I said, I, I hit it for a year because I was afraid. I was afraid they were going to cut me. So that was my next question is how you were performing. How was your strength and your endurance and how were you going on, on game day? When I went vegan that first month, I was recovering so much better from workouts, from games. You know, we worked out in a big group. There was like 10 or 15 of us and guys were always kind of complaining about being sore the next day and like, oh man, like my legs are killing me. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this workout today, blah, blah. And I'm like, am I am I not doing this properly? Like, am I not doing the movements properly? Like I'm moving more weight than any of these guys and I'm not sore the next day. So like, that's kind of what was a big reason that I jumped kind of headfirst into this veganism stuff was I was performing so well and recovering so well in my workouts and practices and games and stuff like that. It was like, man, I would be stupid not to like continue doing this. So I'm sure that some of the players must have been taking notice. You said that, you know, slowly people were sort of catching on. I'm curious, like in the locker rooms or sitting down to have breakfast, lunch, are any of the guys, particularly maybe the ones that are in the latter part of their career who are suffering from arthritis and some of these overuse type injuries, are they kind of asking you questions? Are they being curious? Yeah, that's a question a lot of people ask me, but they a lot of people assume that I get made fun of in the locker room. A lot of people think that they're like, oh, that guys must rip on you or whatever. And and the response from the players was overwhelmingly positive. The guys were very curious. They're like, how the hell are you doing this, man? <laughs> like, they had their plates full of food. You know, they'd have their fried chicken and their potatoes covered in butter and gravy and all this stuff. And they look over at my plate and it's covered in broccoli and chickpeas and, and like black beans and black olives. And they're, they're like, how do you do this? Like, how can you 
compete at this level? How like, how are you doing this? So there were, there was a lot of guys were very inquisitive about it, and uh, because they just didn't understand because they were like me they they were told since they were nine years old that they needed meat to recover and meat and protein, and no one ever told them that you know chickpeas has protein in it. And that lentils are a, a powerhouse of nutrition. You know, the only things that people ever told them was you get your protein from chicken, steak, pork, right? So guys were very curious how I was still competing with them yeah, as a vegan. There's nothing more powerful than that, seeing living proof of it. You mentioned that there are no other vegan footballers in the league now. Are you noticing, though, that that your teammates are sort of open more to introducing more plant-based foods into their diet? Yeah, no, 100%. And it was honestly like really cool to see, especially when, so like at the time that the team kind of like started to figure it out and like the chef started kind of bringing out like one or two like Beyond Meat burgers and like one or two other veggie options where like he'd bring out like veg pasta, like protein pasta and stuff like that for me. More guys started being like, hey, can you make this for me too? Like, can you just make more so we can have it? And it led the chef to basically making an entire other tray because there was such high demand. Whenever they were making Beyond Meat burgers, he was making like 40 burgers because so many guys wanted them. And the pasta trays, they would have three or four vegan pasta trays that they could keep refilling because because like it's like an all-you-can-eat kind of buffet style because there were so many guys wanted that option. A lot of the times too, a lot of the food that was being served is like fried chicken or even like red meat and things like that. And a lot of guys, you know, they understand that like that's protein, but that stuff's heavy. Like that stuff's really heavy. And 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 a lot of guys know that like eating fried chicken, especially before you, you have to like work out or practice or play a game, like that's going to sit in your stomach and you're not going to perform as well. And guys know that. So a lot of guys were opting for the the vegan options when they could and they knew they could at that point. That was one of the the biggest things that I noticed because I used to actually eat quite a bit of red meat and I would feel like I needed to have a nap after that. You know, that more effortless digestion and increased energy was was really, really obvious for me, you know, very quickly. And that kind of just similar to you, that gave me positive reinforcement. You know, this is working for my body. I'm wondering when someone transitions to a vegan diet, often there are people, be it close friends or family that are concerned did you experience any type of concern from sort of anyone in your immediate circle of friends or family? Uh, I understand. I am so privileged in my life. I, I am just extremely privileged to have the parents that I do. Uh, my parents, they're like probably the two most supportive parents you could have in the entire world. My, I mean, my mom was vegetarian for 15 years. Uh, so that you know, right off the bat helped. Uh, my dad very much was not. He was very like meat and potatoes driven. But that being said, they fully supported me. They they never like never questioned it. And it was without missing a beat, they started ordering vegan cookbooks so they could help cook meals for me because they knew like they knew I would struggle to figure it out myself too, because I, they knew I didn't have any friends uh, where I was currently living that were vegan. So, you know, they started kind of learning how to cook vegan. 
Uh, they've actually since converted to being vegan. They're, my mom and dad are both vegan now. And it, so I'm just very fortunate in that regard. And for the most part, my friends, none of my friends have converted over to veganism, but I, I have very supportive friends in that regard too. Whenever we go out to eat, they, they make sure there's a vegan option before going. They fully support trying new foods. I'll bring in foods all the time. They'll try it, no problem, no questions asked. Uh, I got very fortunate in that regard, but I understand that it's not, that's not the typical experience for most people. So you're, what, about six foot one, and you mentioned you're around 200, 220 pounds. You're a big guy. And I know people will be interested. You've mentioned some of the foods that you eat, but perhaps we we get into a bit of detail here in terms of the fuel that you consume to maintain your body weight, your strength and, and perform at training and during games. Walk me through what a kind of typical day or week of eating looks like for you. Like how are you starting your day? What are the types of meals you're looking to before training or before a game? And uh, how are you ensuring that you're getting all of the nutrients that you need? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I, I, it's one I get asked so much. Like, so that's like half the reason I started my food blog was because so many people asked me, what do you eat? Like they're just like they just had they couldn't figure out what I ate. So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna start something so I can just kind of show you guys. But especially during the season, you're so focused on your sport that like you don't really have time to get creative. You're kind of like eating for fuel, and that's all it is. You're just eating for fuel, which which is fine. You know, it's it's not how you should live your life by any means. But during the season, you know, you're so busy on other things that you can't really focus too much on you know taste. But uh, usually how a typical day would go for me during the season, I start the day almost every day in the season by eating oatmeal. Oatmeal is one of the, the easiest ways to start your day. It's such a simple food packed with nutrients and you can add so much to it. So like a typical oatmeal bowl for me, like when I say oatmeal, people always like cringe and they're like, oh, oatmeal is gross. And I'm like, yeah, if you make oatmeal with water and like that's it, but like, like how I make my oatmeal. So I do like a cup of oatmeal, two cups soy milk. So right there, I'm already at like almost 20 grams of protein. Cook that, put it into a bowl. And then I'll add a tablespoon of flaxseed, a tablespoon of hemp hearts, a tablespoon of ground chia seeds. And then I'll put like two tablespoons of all natural peanut butter. I'll put a bunch of frozen berries, you know, even maybe some dark chocolate. I'm feeling crazy, but that's just one variation, right? That's the thing with oatmeal. You can make a million different variations. But by the end of it, that little bowl of oatmeal that people don't really think has that much nutrition, all of a sudden has 30 or 40 grams of protein with all that stuff you added. It's different to the sort of Uncle Toby's little single sachet of oats that many people probably think of. (laughs) Yes, exactly. No, exactly, right? And it's so easy and so delicious that during the season, I start every one of my days like that. And um, I've seen you hype up the oatmeal gang on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think that's a good place for anyone listening who wants to get a visual of what you just described is on your YouTube channel for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I try, that's one of, you know, one of the main reasons I started the YouTube channel was when I was transitioning to being vegan, there weren't any athletes for me to look at and be like, oh, hey, like this guy's doing it. Like Namai Delgado, who's a bodybuilder, he did a lot of it, but I'm like, 
okay, like he's a bodybuilder, like bodybuilding and, and football are two different energy systems, right? So I took some ideas from what he was doing and what he was eating. But when I first went, you know, there wasn't like any NBA stars that were doing it. There weren't any NHL players or NFL players doing it. You know, since then, you know, the game changers came out and, and all that has kind of blown up, right? Which is amazing. But that's one of the reasons I started the YouTube channel was so people could kind of get a visual of what what I actually eat. So what's it take to be part of the oatmeal gang? You just gotta have a love for oatmeal. It's just <laughs> and you just gotta you just gotta send me pictures of your oatmeal so we can like so we can just talk about oatmeal because that's uh, that's all it is. It's a great gang to be a part of. So the day starts with a great big delicious oatmeal, lots of toppings, lots of omega threes and protein and nutrients in there. What's next? Usually for lunch, I'll have like a grain bowl, depending on the day, uh, depending on like the training system. If we're doing something like heavier, I'll use brown rice. Uh, if we're doing something lighter, I'll do quinoa. Brown rice is more calorie dense. Quinoa is just a little bit lighter on calories. It just kind of depends on the day. Uh, but then I'll like I'll pack the grain bowls. Uh, I'm a huge fan of tofu. I eat almost a pack of extra firm tofu every single day. It has a ton of your amino acid profile in tofu is amazing. Your protein levels in tofu are amazing. And you can do so many things with it because it's just such a bland food. But interestingly enough, my first entire year being vegan, I didn't have tofu once because I thought it was disgusting. Did you fear soy at all or you just didn't like the flavor? I honestly did fear soy a bit. I'm not going to lie. And like, I kind of understood it. Like I understood that it really didn't have estrogen in it and everything like that. But it was it was always kind of at the back of my mind. I didn't know how to cook it. I've never cooked with tofu before in my entire life. So I, I like whenever I looked at tofu, I'm like, what do I do with this? So so it was kind of like, you know, both. But after that first year, I started, I think that's when I actually started following you, Dr. Matthew Nagra, uh, and things like that. And and really kind of learning. I like I've learned so much from you guys. It's like it's insane. Like it and and so and then when you guys talk about it, I'm like, oh, okay, like this actually all makes a lot of sense and and I don't need to be afraid of soy, uh, which has made now now I love soy. <laughs> so Yeah, it makes things a lot easier. I mean, it, it it it's not essential. You don't have to have it in your your diet, but as you said, it's such a great source of protein and lots of micronutrients. And to your point about it being bland. How do you jazz it up? How do you bring the flavor? It's it's all about the marinade. It's I it takes work. It and I know I know people like kind of hate hearing it, and it takes a little bit of work because you have to like. But it doesn't take that much work. You can you can marinate it for thirty minutes, and you know it's good. It's a lot better if you marinate it than if you just put it in a pan with something. It won't actually a lot of the times absorb the flavor. So you got to find like a good marinade recipe, like, um, you know, even, even just marinating in soy sauce would be a lot better than, you know, bland, but there are some, there are some really good tofu marinade recipes out there. Another thing I would recommend is freezing it for 24 hours. I don't know if you've ever done that, Simon, but freezing the tofu, like in the package, don't like do just put, take the package straight from the grocery store, put it into the freezer for 24 hours and then thaw it out is a game changer. I haven't done that. Wow. Oh, it's, I'm telling you right now, like if you get a pack of extra firm, next time you get a pack of extra firm tofu, try it. I will do that. And, you know, you need to spend some time preparing and bringing the flavor to tofu or to tempeh, but really it's similar to chicken. 
you, you, you really need to marinate chicken in something as well or it's fairly bland. What else? What, what do you like to snack on between meals? During the season, we have a lot of bars and stuff like that. We have like, I don't know if you guys have cliff bars in Australia, but, you know, cliff bars, they're not the healthiest things by any means. They're, you know, a lot of the times they're packed with corn syrup and sugar and, and things like that. But um, during the season, you're burning so many calories that you just need to replenish those calories. <laughs> I think I, especially, you know, if, if you're kind of hitting everything else, at, at a certain point, you just need more calories in you or you're just like, going to die, basically. I think that's a good point, particularly for someone with a very high caloric requirement like you. It's going to be hard to do that from all whole foods every single day. 100%. 100%. Uh, that's something that can't be understated about it. And, you know, especially two out of the three meals, if you're, you know, if you're eating three typical meals during the season for me are provided to me as well. So, it makes my life significantly easier in that regard. Cool. So what about protein shakes? Do you have a protein supplement that you have, you know, throughout the day or after training or anything like that? Yeah. No, I have a, I have a protein shake. Usually at one point, depending on when I work out, I'll have a protein, either a smoothie or a shake. The difference being like a smoothie, I would put in like a bunch of frozen fruit. I would do like soy milk, a bunch of frozen fruit, all natural peanut butter, a lot of the same things that I would put in an oatmeal bowl, I would put into the smoothie and then I would add in a scoop of protein as well and do a smoothie like that, depending. Or I would do just like straight after a workout, put either water or soy milk into a, to a shaker cup with a scoop of protein and just shake it up and, and drink it. And uh, that's one thing that I'm not a huge fan of supplements. The supplement industry is, you know, it's got its issues in a lot of places. But the protein shake is, it's such a quick hit of protein when you need it, that it's hard to beat that, you know, 20 to 30 grams of protein that you're going to get in instantly. But there's not, it's not like I have like a whole arsenal of supplements that I take regularly. Would most of your teammates also have a, a protein shake? Since I got to university, I don't know a single player that ever did not have protein in his locker. And it, it, it was almost always whey-based like milk and whey-based protein. Uh, and I don't know a single player that didn't have at least at least just protein. Like that's like that's not even the other supplements that they also had. It is a very convenient way to add an extra 20, 30 grams of protein to your diet. And, you know, I have no problem with a, a protein supplement within a, a healthy dietary pattern at all. If that's helping someone meet their nutritional requirements for whatever goals they have. I'm interested, dinner, is dinner a variation of, of lunch or how does dinner go down? I'm Italian. My mom's very Italian. I grew up eating pasta almost five days a week. Uh, so I eat a lot of pasta in my house, but it's great now because there's so many options out there like red lentil pasta or chickpea pasta. Uh, there's just so many protein pastas out there that I eat a lot of protein pasta at night. If I'm feeling trying to like be lighter, I would do like a quinoa grain bowl or something like that. But I do a lot of protein pastas. Uh, I do a lot of chilies as well because chili, uh, it's all a lot of my life revolves around convenience because of the sport, right? Like you have to, you're trying to conserve energy everywhere you can. So you don't want to spend 
three hours cooking a meal after you just worked out for three hours, right? So, you know, chili is a great way to get, you know, a, a super high protein meal in with a ton of vegetables, a ton of nutrition. Uh, same with protein pasta. You can do protein pasta. You add in some like Beyond Meat meatballs or, you know, falafels or something like that. And you have a pretty solid meal with a lot of protein in right there. And it's ready in under an hour. So that's usually like my two main go-tos that I, I eat quite frequently. So you're adding a, a lot of vegetables to to that grain bowl at lunch and then dinner as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah. That's, uh, that's one thing I, I try to emphasize as much as I possibly can is, is adding in like a, a variation of vegetables. And it, it, it's difficult, especially in, in, in Winnipeg, Manitoba. We're right, right in the center of Canada. So the variety of vegetables isn't, you know, always the best. But that being said, you know, I try and I try and get in as many different ones as I can in to because the micronutrient profiles is, you know, where I focus a lot of my energy on. And you mentioned supplements. So aside from a protein powder, what are the sort of daily supplements that you would take? The, da- the daily supplements, um, I would take, especially in a training phase, like a big, if we were doing quite a few strength training workouts and things like that, I would take a vegan creatine supplement. And then I take a vegan B12 and a vegan vitamin D pill as well. And the B12, to be honest, I'm pretty sure I don't actually need to take. It was just kind of a part of my routine, especially when I first went vegan, because you know it's basically one thing you always see. But now that I understand, and, and I know you talk about this quite a bit, a lot of the plant milks in Canada are actually fortified with B12 nutritional yeast days, and I eat a ton of nutritional yeast uh, and things like that. So I'm, I'm pretty sure I could probably get rid of the, the B12. But yeah, it's basically three supplements that I take, and I've gotten blood work done, and you know, I, my blood work comes back fine every, 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 t- every time I get it checked. I'm, you know, I'm always good. Yeah, the the fortified foods is it's a great point because if you are consuming fortified foods two, three times a day consistently, then you're right. You may not need to to supplement with B12. Probably the best way for someone to troubleshoot that would be to look at their bloods and see without a supplement in their diet, do their levels stay at a at a healthy level. But you would want to make sure you are regularly including those foods in your diet and checking the label and making sure that it it does contain a, a good amount of B12. Injuries, you mentioned uh, earlier, this is a, a very tough sport. And it seems to me that your position in particular comes with a lot of inevitable pain from all of the big hits that you take in, in practice and games. So, how do you personally manage your recovery and and manage that pain? Great, great question. That <laughs> a lot of it comes down to living with it. There are things you can do to mitigate it. Nutrition certainly plays a huge role in that. The cliche saying is life is pain, but in a contact sport like football and especially in the position I play, it'll never be pain free. You know, I'm not going to go vegan and all of a sudden I never feel pain again, right? If another 250-pound man decides to put his helmet through my chest, that, that's going to hurt like hell. <laughs> that's, you know what I mean? Like, just because I'm vegan doesn't mean I don't feel it, right? So, but that being said, you know, there's there's ways to mitigate it uh, for sure. 
And a lot of a lot of the onus is on on you, especially as a pro athlete. You know, if you want to be your best, if you want to be on that field, you got to take care of your own bodies. So you know, every day after practice, every day after you know after every single workout, uh, we flush our bodies in the in the cold tubs. So we get in, you know, we fill the tubs up with freezing cold water and dump about ten buckets of ice in there, and then we go and sit in them for uh, fifteen minutes. And, you know, it, it helps your body kind of recover, especially especially on those, you know, 40-degree days when you've been practicing for three hours. You know, you got to cool your body down somehow because you got to practice again the next day. Uh, you can't just be hot and inflamed that entire time. So cold tubs are a huge way that we... And it, you know, it has a numbing factor too, which is nice. It kind of numbs the pain a bit. Then the nutrition comes in and I can always tell if I didn't eat properly the day before, you know, say I decide to have two Beyond Meat cheeseburgers kind of thing and a, and a pizza the day before, the next day, I know for a fact if I've had like a lot of processed foods and didn't kind of meet my nutrient profile for the day, like I won't feel rested. I won't feel as recovered and things like that. And, you know, one of the biggest things for that. And it's probably one of the most underrated things in our in our culture is getting eight hours of sleep. And we sleep all the time. Like we're like, I know guys that are getting like 12 hours of sleep. They're just, you know, whenever we get a chance between meetings, between practice, like we have rooms that are darkened that we can go like sit on the couches and have like a cat nap in and things like that. It's it's so in, like it is probably one of the the most underrated things when it comes to athletes. Some athletes think they just need to do and do and do and do. But at a point you need to rest. <laughs> and and it's every single day and you need to get a lot of it to recover. Do you do anything in particular at home from a, a sleep point of view to to try and encourage a sort of deeper level of sleep, a high sleep quality? I uh, I bought blackout shades um, I bought a king size or a California king size memory foam mattress. I should probably say that the king size bed was mostly for my dogs, but it, uh, <laughs> it, it, it they're both 150 pounds, so it it makes it. But it, it it helps because then they're not right on top of me, so it helps me sleep a lot better. And having a routine, just sometimes I find you know when I'm talking to people about sports and working out and things like that. You know, everyone's kind of looking at these like fad diets like keto, you know, or intermittent fasting or or the the newest workout whether, you know, whether it's CrossFit or or hit training or something else and and they kind of think that it's just like the solution. Like that that's going to solve all their problems. So that's going to make them an elite athlete or something like that and and, and a lot of the times people lose track of the fact that how I got to this position is I did something consistently for 17 straight years. And the routine aspect of that is huge. You know, I, I didn't get to this position because every single season I was like, you know, I, oh, now this year I'm keto. Okay, now this year I'm doing this workout. Oh, now next year I'm doing, you know what I mean? Like I would have never gotten here if I didn't have a set routine that I was doing the things I needed to do in order to get to this position. And that kind of translates to the rest of life. You know what I mean? Whether that's creating good sleep habits, you have to kind of get into a routine and then foster that routine. 
Because without it, it's not really going to work. And it's so important. And I think it's one thing that's really underrated in our kind of like society. That's an incredible takeaway point. I'm sure you're familiar with James Clear, who wrote the book Atomic Habits. I've heard him say, and I think he used the example of NFL players and, and stated that it's not the goals that separate the players. They all have the same goal of you know, getting to the Super Bowl and winning. But it's actually the systems and the daily habits that you're talking about, which separates one person from the next. So that's a huge takeaway. While we're on recovery, before we we move off that topic, is chronic traumatic encephalopathy something that you think about? Is the league in Canada doing anything to to sort of minimize long-term brain damage in players? It is. You know, it's something I think about quite a bit. And had I known what I know now, would I have continued to play football as long as I did? I'm not sure. I definitely don't regret playing football as long as I have. You know, this is life I've chosen now. The league is doing quite a bit to to minimize the impact. You know, we have a ton of new, in the past five years, we've implemented so many rules around, you know, the kind of hits you can and can't do. You know, you can't target people's heads. You can't lead with your head, et cetera. And obviously it's a contact sport. So headshots are still going to happen. You're going to fall on your head. Uh, concussions are still going to happen. But they're, they're trying, uh, which is always good. They have, if you want a specific helmet, uh, they'll bring in whatever helmet you want um, to bring in. One good thing about the CFL, and this is one of the major differences between the CFL and the NFL, our field is longer and wider so you have more area to cover and you have one less down to get a first down as well. So the game is a lot more pass heavy and it's a lot more side to side running. There's not as many power lanes as the NFL has where guys are kind of going just downhill at each other's heads. It's a lot more kind of side to side running and things like that. Like I said, it you know it's a contact sport. You're going to get hit in the head. It's literally inevitable. At this point, I've made my decisions. I kind of just have to live with the fact that that might be something I kind of have to deal with in the future. And I'm kind of relying on people such as yourself and Dr. Matthew Nagra to hopefully (laughs) figure it out by the time it becomes too much of an issue for me. It's super interesting. I know in the AFL, there's been some introduction of new rules that limit when a player can return to the field following a concussion and even some rules where they actually have to miss the following week. So, I mean, it's good to see that with the science, there's conversations happening and leagues seem to be well aware of it and, you know, are doing what they can to try and protect the players better. Yeah, you know, we, we, we kind of signed up for it. You know, I, I'd, be, I'd be an idiot if I didn't say I, you know, obviously understand that bashing my head in is probably not the best thing for my brain, but, you know, we, we, we did sign up for it. So it's just nice that the leagues are kind of doing things about it at this point. On the topic of the league addressing issues, and this is a little bit of a, a gear shift, but I think it's very important. There is a lot being said about professional footballers, particularly in the NFL and violence against women. And there's been quite a few sort of high-profile cases. I'm interested from a professional footballer's perspective within the, the four walls of a professional uh, football team, 
how, how big of an issue is this? And is this also a discussion that the CFL are having? That's an amazing question, actually. And I am so fortunate to have played all of my years with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. One of their biggest things was bringing in quality players. Uh, and it didn't matter how good you were, if you were kind of a shithead, for whatever reason, they would get rid of you. It didn't matter, you know, if you didn't matter if you were last year's leading receiver or best running back and, you know, it didn't matter who you were. Uh, if you acted like an idiot in the locker room, they just cut you on the spot. So, you know, I, I was very fortunate to have played all of my years with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in a team and an organization that very much was, you know, it, it was a standard to act in a respectful manner or you would not be on this team. So from my perspective, which is a very jaded one, uh, which I understand, I haven't experienced that. I think over when I was playing in 2019, I would probably say 80% of the players were in in either relationships or married and, and their wives would come to every single practice and their kids would run on the field and after practice, we'd play with them and, and things like that. But that being said, we understand, especially as a league, that this is, this is an issue. Uh, and it's not just an issue with football players. It's, it's an issue in society. And the league has partnered with a program in Canada and it's called the Don't Be a Bystander Campaign. And players from every team, they designate a couple players from every team to give talks to high school students about ending violence against women. So it is something that's uh, very important to the league. And, and we understand that is something that needs to be addressed. And myself and another player on the team were the Blue Bombers representatives for that. And I think we gave probably 20 or 30 talks to high schools around Manitoba about how language matters and how how all of these things are very important. Honestly, things I wish I would have been taught at that age. A lot of the stuff you don't know until you're taught it, and they're not teaching that in schools. So, you know, I, I'm very proud that the league has introduced that program and has continued that program, and and we are trying to use our influence to to address it. Yeah, that's that's incredible that you're doing that work and have done that work because like you said the issue spans you know across society in general it's not just footballers but footballers are in an exceptional position to influence people and they're they're looked up to by so many kids so there is an incredible opportunity there mate this has been super insightful you are setting a fantastic example i'm so glad that we did this is there anything that you feel like we've missed Honestly, I wanted to thank you because I've been I've been reading through your book and I, I read the first chapter of your book, Simon, and I went back to the website and I ordered, you know, five more copies so I could give out to to some of my teammates because I was like, I was like, <laughs> all right, man, like more 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 of us need to know this information. So I I ordered a bunch more. So uh, you know, because like I said, you know, a lot of the guys are they're curious. They're they're interested in it. And it's and it's people like you that are are enabling us to kind of break down those stereotypes and and those those assumptions we've had in our heads since we were so young uh, and without people like you you know I wouldn't 100% I wouldn't be vegan so uh you know it's just you know we super appreciate all the work that you put in and you know all all the work you do trying to you know dispel the misinformation out there is you know I'm here to thank you for it because you know it's it, we super appreciate it 
Thank you, mate. That uh, that means a lot. I, I appreciate it and, and I really appreciate your support for the book. I hope that your uh, teammates enjoy it as much as you have. Perhaps to finish on the note of, of teammates, let's say a teammate comes to you and says, John, I'm thinking of giving this plant-based thing a go and perhaps they're even interested in being vegan, but they're, they're sort of yet to get started and they're at that stage where they might be on the fence and they have a little bit of that fear, which is only natural. What's your advice for them? Yeah, that's a, it's actually something that happens quite often um, with teammates or even people that just follow me on Instagram. And I went vegan overnight. I kind of cold tofurkey did, I guess. But I, I recommend almost nobody else do that. Uh, I read the science after. It's like one of the worst ways to quit a habit is to just go cold turkey. It, it's the fail rate's like 95%. But when you're a big idiot like me, you can kind of put your mind to something and do it. But that, that being said, there. For most people, they can't. So I would recommend trying things. For example, like I said, my mom's Italian, so I grew up making or eating pasta and meatballs and, and all these Italian foods, fettuccine Alfredo, all these things all the time. So I recommend when people ask me, I'm like, you know, take your favorite meals, you know, whether it's a burrito, whether it's tacos, whether it's fish and chips, whether it's pasta, find a vegan recipe and make it. Make the effort to do that once, twice, three times a week. Try it out and then just keep trying recipes until you found a bunch that you like, until you found kind of an arsenal. You have like a playbook of recipes or meals that you can make and then slowly start phasing foods out. You know, I'm vegan and I'm very much vegan for the animals at this point in my life. But that being said, I understand the world we live in. They're not going to go vegan overnight as much as I want them to. It's just not realistic. And one of the ways that we can, in the end, harm less animals, which is, you know, the ultimate goal, is to have vegans sustain their diet for longer. And in order to do that, we need less people going vegan and failing and, and kind of reverting back. Uh, and that's kind of one of the ways that I found has been a really great way of doing it. You know, take your favorite meals, find some recipes you like online, or that look good online and then just start kind of trying to make them vegan. Because for myself, you know, when I just gave it up overnight, I didn't know what to make. I had no idea how to cook vegan. Like I said, I didn't eat tofu the entire first year because I, I just didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know how to cook it. Um, so that entire first month, I ate the same exact thing every single day. I hated it. <laughs> like my body <laughs> felt great, everything else felt great, but I hated eating. <laughs> like it was, it was terrible. But like, but it was working, and that's the thing. Like, I would never recommend someone do that, and unless you're an idiot like me, I would recommend you know slowly introducing it. If you go for coffee instead of getting you know normal milk or cow's milk, get soy milk or oat milk. Definitely get oat milk; it's the best one. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like slowly introduce it that way uh, until all of a sudden it's just like. I just have one more thing to give up and I'm vegan. Uh, that would be my kind of go-to way of, of helping someone out. Uh, because like I said, I, 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 want, I want them to do it overnight. It's just not realistic for so people because it's so ingrained in our culture. Beautifully put. Small changes, go slow and build up some confidence. John, if uh, the listeners want to connect with you, which I know they will, if they want to look at the various meals that you create or connect with you on the socials, Instagram, et cetera, where's the, the best place to find you? 
You know, the best place to find me is on probably Instagram or Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. It's at John Rush five. Uh, my Twitter's at John Rush 32. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. Uh, just type in John Rush and I'll pop up. That's, that's usually where I do most of my connecting. I have a vegan food blog as well, where I blog about what I eat. It's called rescuedogkitchen.com. You know, like I said before, I'm, I, I love dogs and both of my dogs are rescue dogs. Um, and we donate 50% of the proceeds that we earn on the, the blog and the website. We donate back to animal rescues and we've donated a couple thousand in the past year, which has been uh, really fun. And I get to kind of introduce people to uh, vegan cooking, which is also a lot of fun. So uh, those are the kind of the best places to find me. Amazing. I'll put that link into the show notes. That sounds like a great thing for everyone to support. Thanks, John. Really, really loved it. As I said, super, super inspiring. You're leading by example and there's been so much practical and very helpful information here. So thanks for coming on and hopefully we can do it again in the future. Yeah, no, thanks a lot, Simon. I really appreciate you you having me on here and, and letting me share my story with the world. And, and like I said, I really appreciate all the work you put in on a daily basis, man. It means, uh, means the world to the community, that's for sure. There we go. How did that one land for you? I hope that you found it interesting, instructive, illuminating, all the things. Of course, if you did, please do share with your friends and family on the socials. The more people that we can help together, the better. And while you're there, make sure that we're connected too. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at plant underscore proof. That's at plant underscore proof. And on that lovely note, it's time to bring this one to a close. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I appreciate you and I look forward to repeating it all again in a few days time. Until then, remember, more plants, my friends, more plants.